You're home for Up and Adam in the morning. It is the Crush 92.5. It's our after-air conversation. Uh, posting this because, the first of all, the calls and the interest in Chris Lambert coming here was overwhelming. So glad that he is Up and Adam in the morning. I know there's been questions that were submitted on my Insta, hundreds of them. And there's also questions, Chris, that you have probably got asked a trillion times over and over and over again. Yeah. What are some of those ones that you see like everyone is asking us, everyone is wondering this? It's mostly things that I think are confusing because we haven't gotten into a lot of the details. One that I got over and over yesterday when I posted that I was doing this was, why didn't Ruben's neighbor, who reported that she saw some strange activity, why didn't she call the police? She should have called the police. And I think in hindsight, that makes sense to a lot of people. But what you don't understand is at the time that this happened, there was no public speculation that Kristen's body was buried at Ruben's property. Um, and sh- and what she saw was a flurry of activity in the driveway moving around the side of the house. She didn't see people with shovels. She didn't see people yelling about dig her up. What she saw was just unusual. And so she thought the best uh, way to go about reporting this was to just reach out to me, who she had reached out to before to say, by the way, love your podcast. I'm Ruben's neighbor. It's crazy knowing all this stuff and living right across from him. She didn't reach out again until she saw this and said, I just wanted you to know something unusual occurred. She didn't think it was worth reporting to the police. Nobody thought, I didn't even think when she told me they're probably getting rid of the body. I just thought they might be destroying important evidence. This was four days after search warrants were served at all of their houses. So I thought, well, they might be getting rid of something that they don't want the police to discover. So certainly worth following up on, but I don't, I don't in the slightest think that she did the wrong thing. I no, sure. She absolutely did the right thing. And then I reported it. I told the detectives something strange went on at Ruben's house last night. Here's what I'm hearing from a neighbor. And they said, will the neighbor speak to us? I said, I don't think so. She doesn't want to get involved with this. She doesn't want her name out there. So I'm just giving you the info. And what I learned is that without being able to sit down and interview her, they really couldn't do a lot with it. So we all thought it was weird it wasn't until a year later when they dug up Ruben's yard and found an impression with this soil staining that we all thought, now that makes sense. Now it seems like if she was recently moved and there's shovel marks in the soil that make it look like it was just recently dug up, that timeline suddenly fits. So then I reached out to her and said, will you please talk to detectives? And she agreed to. She put her name out there. Ruben now knows who she is. He knows that she reported this. That's scary. She still lives across the street from him. And so she did everything right. She did yeah. everything right, and she took the stand and testified. That's a very, very difficult thing to do. I have nothing but respect for her, but it hurts when I see comments like, she did this wrong. She should have called the police. Yeah. Well, that's easy for you to say because you think you would have called the police. But I don't know if you would have either if if it had been that timeline and that property. Under those circumstances. Exactly. Yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, were there any like full circle moments that came to you during this process? I can think of like maybe the witness who said there was like a discrepancy in what, what was Chris trying to get her to say something, that whole thing. You finally ended up seeing her afterwards and like having a, a moment with her. Were there, uh, were, you can enlighten us on that one or were there other kind of moments that felt like they went into a full circle and thankfully we got to kind of end that out that happens so many times that i honestly can't even think of a single one right now it's always felt like there have been so many moments in the last five years of looking into this case where i thought how did that happen how could that possibly have happened 
something else is going on here, like beyond me. There were other forces at work maybe, but there's been so many times where I thought, I'm never going to figure this out. I don't have the answer to this. And then somebody emails me, calls me, and gives me a piece of info that I never thought I would have or helps fill in a gap that I didn't think would ever be filled in. So especially once the trial happened and I got to see a lot of these people in person for the first time who had only read about or spoken to over the phone, um, there's certainly just always been this full circle feeling of like, wow, we started here and now we're here. Was there any other courtroom moment that was more jarring? Because I remember when you first told me about where they're showing these pictures underneath the deck and how people like literally made, you know, sighs or were crying. I mean, it was very moving to the people who were observing this evidence. Was that probably the one that sticks out into your head the most? Were the other courtroom moments that were just like very jarring that top that? Even? Um, I mean, that I think the one you're talking about happened at prelim, but yeah. that same evidence got the same reaction at trial. Yeah. One of the jurors had an emotional outburst and we had to stop for the lunch break um, and compose herself and go, I'm, I haven't made up my mind. I'm not biased. Yeah, she it's talks just, about like, that I in the episode. I can't yeah. handle like what I'm thinking and feeling here. Um, Another one was they called a DA investigator who was one of the only detectives who has actually gotten a sit-down interview with Paul Flores from 1996. Um, he took the stand, and he testified that he had you know, he tracked down all these people from the party. This person says she was here, she was there. Finally gets to Paul Flores, very calmly having a conversation, and he said, what do you think? Like, you know, I know you don't know, but what do you think happened to this girl? And he said, Paul said, I think she's dead. And at that point... He was the only person in the investigation who had ever come to that conclusion, and it was so telling. And as soon as that detective said it, a bunch of people in the audience like shifted. And one of the jurors looked over at the other jurors. One of them looked at Paul like, what the hell? It was just a very like definitive moment in the courtroom where I thought, that is really hard-hitting. You know? Wow. That, that he is the only person we were investigating who said, oh, I think she's dead. Yeah. I think she's dead? Everybody else is saying she might have gone camping. She might have gotten into a car with a friend and... And she may have been upset with her parents. You're the only person who thinks she might be dead. He's not a bright guy, is he? He's kind of somewhat dim, isn't he? Yeah, I, absolutely. I, and I don't think he's a sophisticated criminal mastermind. Um, I think he's a, a sexual deviant. And he's driven by his own sexual compulsion to the point where he just doesn't think things through. Yeah. He does what feels right in the moment. And then he tries to cover it up. Yeah. Wow. Amazing that he was able to get away with it for so long. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm blown away by that. Just the ball got dropped by every agency. The yeah. But then look at all the San Pedro stuff. I mean, oh, yeah. it's just like, how is this guy this lucky? Were there moments of like ultimate comfortability? I know it feels like this, whether it was like being subpoenaed for all my stuff or all these things. I mean, there were a lot of ups and downs and unsureties. You've never, certainly never done this before. You're on the same journey that we're all kind of on, but you're, you know, relaying all these messages and, this content to us were there ever times where you were like ultimately comfortable like this feels good going back to the house in monterey like okay okay like this is good i'm 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 managing this it feels fine i'm or, or, or no um i think always like every day there was an element of this is so exhausting it's just every part of it was so exhausting there were days where they would announce a dark day or they would say a juror called in six, so we're just going to cancel today, where I would just sit in my car and go, I need this so bad right yeah. now. Yeah, what I would went, you do on those days? Th there was one day where they announced an unexpected you know, juror sickness or something. You guys are dismissed until tomorrow. 
I drove around. I found a music shop. I bought an acoustic guitar and I went back to the house I was staying in and just played it the rest of the day. Yeah. And because uh, I didn't bring anything like that with me. And I thought I never would have had an opportunity to do this. Um, also, just driving around and getting to see Salinas. A lot of people were recommending places to eat, things to do. And I just had no time to do it. So right. on those days, it's like, I'm going to go to a park. I'm going to go find this coffee shop. So yeah. I recommend and then I got to Salinas too. It's like, yeah. And yeah. so there were moments all along there where I would just find little little bits of happiness or or just comfort. Right. Like I'm just going to sit in a coffee shop with air conditioning and not think about the trial. Yeah. How did you and your girlfriend uh, manage like the, the long distance stuff? You're talking all the time. Is it like obviously she's interested in what you're doing? You, you know, I know my partner. You talk about the day, your passions. Are you talking to her about the case? I mean, what was going on in those conversations? I called her during every lunch break yeah. and it was like, just kind of decompress. Usually didn't get into the details of what happened because it's like, I already have to type all this stuff on Twitter. Yeah. So let's just talk about something else. Like, what are you up to? What's going on? Um, or, Hey, this crazy thing happened in the hallways. Um, catch up during the lunch break, uh, catch up again when I got out of court for the day, uh, get back to typing. And then late, late at night when I'd finished typing, call her up and be like, I finished for the night done how's it going catch up a little bit i drove home every weekend so i'd leave friday afternoon from the courthouse and drive straight home with my car packed and all day saturday was typing my script for the next episode all day sunday was recording and editing that and most weeks i didn't have it done before i needed to head back to monterey wow so i'd bring it with me and i'd sit up and edit it until one or two in the morning post it and then go to sleep and wake up at six to be at the courthouse was she ever upset that like Honey, like, babe, you're home, like, the weekend. You got to hang out with me. She, you know, she's very patient. And and also she knew that what I was doing was important. So I'm sure she felt it on the inside, but she never expressed yeah. it. It was just like, this is what you got to do. Yeah, you know, the times that we've been able to talk over now the years, a couple years, and um, getting to know you, like, on Instagram and, like, see, you know, follow I follow your girlfriend and um see how talented she is and stuff. And you guys have a really cute relationship. See some of the stories that you guys go back and forth, your, your things for movies and you guys yeah. are quirky and fun. And you guys, I'm curious like how you kind of kept things, you know, like cute and fun in a time that was very like, whoa, like you're living up here far away doing this court thing. Like was it, was it, were those tough times? They were tough, but I was always looking forward to Next week we have three dark days. So when I leave on Friday, I actually don't have to be back here till Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah. So in those times, we would always try to plan something with friends. Let's have a movie night. Let's go out to a restaurant. Let's laugh and have a good time. So there was a lot of planning that went on to make sure that I was not always emotionally overwhelmed and exhausted. It was like, I have something to look forward to tonight. Um, hanging out with our friends and watching dumb movies is always just a great way to right. compress. We went through the entire Nicholas Sparks series of every book he's written that's been turned into a movie, and they get progressively worse as the production right. value gets lower. And we laughed a lot, and and that stuff keeps you afloat. You checking on the dog? You have a dog, right? We do. Yeah. yeah. How? What, what kind of dog do you have? A beagle. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, let's get to some more questions. These are questions that came through. I got hundreds of them. Um, no joke or sarcasm here. How do you think you became such a great storyteller and journalist? Huh? I don't know. I, I, I certainly didn't like set out to do that. I think, I, I think if you asked my mom, she would say that going back as far as like being a toddler, 
I was always interested in telling stories and that's part of the reason I got into writing music like just one way to tell a story about things um, I think just inherent in who I am I like to recap things for people you know you have a, a weird day or a weird encounter and you come home and tell your girlfriend or tell your mom about it um, my mom is a great storyteller when when she recaps things she does a lot of voices we both do sort of impressions and and sing songy voices and stuff and so I think that's just always been in who I am. I don't think I set out to do that. That's so funny because I wonder if people like hear you or see you if they wonder if there's that like silly side of you, but there definitely is. I th I think a lot of people who follow me on my personal Instagram are surprised to find out. Oh, he's like more funny than you would expect. Yeah, no, totally. That you know, not to say I'm like a hilarious person, but he's not taking things so seriously. No, all sure. The time. Yeah, that's certainly I think maybe a surprise to some people, and maybe some of them don't like it. Your voice but, get recognized in like drive-throughs and stuff. Yes. Yeah. All the time. By by, are you more recognized by voice or by face? Uh, I think it's both now. Once I started being on TV, yeah, then people would rec people will drive by and honk at me, like they recognize me. Yeah. Around, but how they, often are people like? I mean, like we ha I have a listener who came in a little while ago, and he's like a paramedic, and he's like, I just want to. You know, I just have a card from him. He wasn't even expecting to meet you. We happened to be at a commercial break. Mm -hmm. He came and shook her hand and gave you a card. Yeah. You know I mean, like, are these things kind of happening all the time? It's so sweet. Yeah. Yes, all the time. Yeah. And and it is so sweet. And it's, um, I, I practice so hard to make sure that I can be in the moment for each of those things. Because when you have that happen 50 times in a day, sometimes you feel like you're kind of, it's hard to continue to give back and make good eye contact and listen to what they're saying to you. It just gets overwhelming. I've done, I did like a, I guess a meet and greet or something in Arroyo Grande after the verdicts where it was a fundraiser for the Smart family. They said, come and meet Chris Lambert. And just one person after the next was so emotional and they're crying and they want to hug. They want to take a picture. And a I, I just know how important it is to them. No, sure. I, I don't fully understand why sometimes. I don't know the extent of it. Is it uncomfortable a little bit? It's it's uncomfortable the because adulation. I'm shy. Yeah, sure. And and also I just don't know what to say when somebody says thank you. Like, do I say you're welcome? Is I know, that right? rude? I know, like, I do know. I say thank you back? Right. And so sometimes yeah. I don't know how to respond. And just every part of me is just trying to make sure that I can be fair to them and give them what they yeah. not give them a bad impression of me. No, so, sure. Th but then doing that over and over again, then I start to get exhausted from. I'm trying so be hard on. to keep my energy up yeah. and be the be the right person yeah. for this. So that's the only tough part of it. Amy asks, I'm so curious about his finances slash livelihood. <laughs> After all this devotion, can he make money? Um. So before I started the podcast, I knew for a year that I was going to do this. And it was something I'd been discussing with my girlfriend. I'd go to work and I'd come home and I'm like, I hate this job and yeah. I don't want to be here and I'm exhausted. I kind of just want to try this podcast thing. I never thought there was money in the podcast. It was always, I need to do this because it's the right thing to do. And it's something I really want to try. And so she and I had lots of late night conversations about how long do you think we could swing it? If I quit my job and what's left in the bank is what's left and you pick up the slack at times. And how long do you think we could do that? She didn't care. Her whole thing was like, please just get out of that job and do what you really want to do. Yeah. So she was very encouraging. And luckily once the podcast hit, um, it got such an overwhelming response, but there's no ads. There's no money whatsoever in the podcast. Which is crazy and, to me because the Smart family has given you the blessing oh, yeah. to do this a yeah. while ago. Very much so. And still have, they remind me all the time, if you want to do a movie, you want to do a book, you have our blessing to do it. Um, but w early on, they had to encourage me to put a donate tab on the website because I did not want to do that. I thought it felt gross. 
but they're like people are looking for they're giving yeah, us checks to give to you so please right. start something yeah. where they can give it directly to you so i just put a donate tab and i even put their scholarship above mine so just like please please don't feel obligated to right. give me money but the amount of money that came in through donations was enough that it's like i can go a little longer without a job i can keep doing that yeah and so that probably is over now i highly doubt people are going to continue to donate now that the podcast is over so we'll see what happens next yeah but then these other perhaps deals come through are any of them sick tell me can you give me a little bit about maybe the sexiest one the one that actually <laughs> you thinking the most well i would never use the word sexy to describe a, you know what a, i mean like i know I, I do know exactly what you mean um there is a person who has reached out that wants to do a dramatized series for netflix or hulu or something like that and dramatized series are something i was going to stay far away from but the woman who's producing this one or who would like to produce this one has been so deeply invested every step of the way. I've seen her name pop up on everything I've done. She comments all the time. I believe she has donated to the cause. And she's just been so patient and quiet about it that I just think, it, again, it's the smart family's decision. If they say yes, then I would definitely encourage them to talk to her just because I feel like she's absolutely coming at it from the right reasons for the right reasons. And she's also produced series before that I've watched. And I thought this is very well done. Mm. So somebody's going to do this because they will, somebody will grab this story, especially. And I've been told this by everybody who's interviewed me, NBC, CBS, somebody is going to do the story of a podcaster. Who's never done this before, who picks up the pieces and solves a murder case. And it's going to be bad. It's going to be a bad retelling. So if true. You're not the one involved yeah and so that's something i've kept in mind if they are going to dramatize it i hope that that producer will be the one to do it because i do think she's in it for the right reasons. we're talking like an episode of something or like a full length like a series i like think series. like like for, like a mini series yeah of episodes wow, that about. would be really powerful too yeah it who could be you? if done the right way who plays chris lambert <laughs> i know you hate to answer that but you got yeah. it who, some who? people have said it said their suggestions and they've been so hurtful and insulting to me. We're like, wow, is that what I look like? Somebody said right. Paul Dano, and I thought that was, I would be honored if Paul Dano would play me. Let me go to the Google machine. <laughs> okay. And he's going to have to grow some, some beard, but very good. What's he from? He's in uh, the Fablemans. He's oh, in, sure. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Isn't that interesting to think that there could be something on the horizon where an actor is going to play Chris Lambert. Does that like blow your mind? It's a kind of, it's almost a little sick. <laughs> it's a little weird. Yeah. I, what a trip. And my girlfriend and I like to watch trashy, like lifetime movies of cases we've read, you know, the John yeah. Benny Ramsey case we right. got very into. And then we watched the lifetime movie and we're like, this is awful. I How know. are they not so insulted by this? And so a lot of times those portrayals are just corny on the face they yeah. have to be because they're not the real person we actually just watched a beach boys dramatization it was like my favorite band yeah i love beach and we we're watching it like what is this this yeah. is so bad well you kind of have two choices are you the i know you've been very one way about not wanting to like you know accept too much money or feel weird about it but if someone i guess you have to choose one if you had to choose one be not involved and it'd be crappy but at least be able to say i had nothing to do with it or have some sort of kind of, you know, input on it when no one's input seems to be, uh, no, they, sh they should have your input on it. What, what do you choose in that context? I mean, I think I'd rather be involved to make sure that I thought they were being fair yeah. to everybody. Right. That, um, that they weren't just guessing because I've seen, 
I won't name names, but I've seen some of the specials that have covered this case where I thought you did the absolute minimum research required. You, you read most of these directly off of the Wikipedia page. There's lines taken directly from my podcast where I think that I just had that in an episode and you use the exact same clips that I did to get your point across. And so I just want the person who's doing it to actually care and to be involved. And so if I have to be a consultant or whatever that means, I don't have to get rich off of doing it. I just have to make sure that it's done the right way. Uh, do you think they'll ever find her? M says, do you think they'll ever find Kristen? I hope so. Sure. I hope so. But in your gut, do you see this coming to fruition? In my gut, every time somebody says, I think I know where she is, I get so excited. I don't know if excited is the right word, but I get so fired up thinking, let's, let's check it out. Yeah. Because the, I think the, the majority part of me thinks she's somewhere. Does Paul have any reason, anything to gain now while he's incarcerated? Does he have any reason to offer up where Kristen is? Well, the reasons are, of course, ethics and morality, just being a good human being, getting the weight off of his chest. that This has been weighing on him for so many years. Yeah. He's already been punished for it. He's already been outed in the public. People know his name and his face. What's to lose? Just give up her location. But I don't think he will because I think that he's going to exhaust the appeals process and it's going to have to get denied over and over and over again before he even starts to consider, wow, maybe... I'm doing the wrong thing here. Yeah. I don't think that I wonder that's... I there's like a prison confession that they can get out from somebody or, right. you know, like a and lead they, from... You know, they tried to put uh, an undercover officer in his cell in the early 2000s. He never confessed, but that's because, you know, part of it is there's just no reason for him to confess. He's kept the secret for so long, he's got to keep it up. Uh, but two, you got to wonder what their tactics were. Sometimes I see... I've seen tapes of undercover officers where I think, I would know immediately that guy was an actor. It's just so obvious. So I don't know who they got to do it. I don't know what kind of job they did. But I don't think there's enough benefit for him to come forward. I think it would have to be some something he came to in his heart. And I don't know that he would do that. Megan asks, what does communication look like with the smart family now for you? Now we talk all the time. Do you? Now, uh, yes. Texting. Um, Was she texting you this morning? Yes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and we talked on the phone yesterday and... They're just so encouraging, and they really do care about me as a person. Oh, sure. They want me to take care of myself. They want me to relax. I think they treasure you. I mean, based on that text, like, she really feels like you were brought, uh, Kristen brought you to them. And yeah. And they really treasure you. Yeah. And they, they love you. When, I, when we do talk, it's so often just about personal stuff, and, and they want me so badly to just go back to recording music and Finish your album. They, they want me to do what I want to do. That's my next question. We have a person asking, when is the next album out? Um, I've been working on it this whole time. I've been recording it in breaks during the trial, throughout the prelim. Is that cathartic? Yes. Like it, it became, because when I did music full time, sometimes it was a job where it's like, I have to do this. But then when I got invested in the trial, especially the prelim, just took so much out of me and exhausted me that I would come home on the weekends and just start recording the song that's been waiting forever. I wrote these songs like five years ago now, and I've just been slowly chipping away at them. And I almost had it done before the trial started. And then I almost got it done before the sentencing. And so every step along the way, I think it's like, it's 95% of the way there. So hopefully before the end of the year. Do you think you'll pick up another case? Do you think like your passion will, I mean, I know we know how deep you get into something. So I imagine if you did, you probably would want to do it the same way with the same heart. 
Do you feel like you want to do that? Right now, no. Right now, I think this is not a line of work that I want to continue to be in. It's it's very overwhelming, like very much so. Um, but I know the way that I work, and I know that passion sometimes comes out of nowhere. Um, each time I put an album out, I think, is that it? Am I ever going to do, do another album again? And then I take a step away, and I'm just bombarded with inspiration and I can't wait to do it again. And so that might happen the same way here. I might try to step away, and then in a year from now, a case might hit me over the head where I think I need to do something with this. I don't think it's going to come about unless it's organic, though. I don't think that if somebody emails me and says, please do this case, the chances are that if I haven't you know, already heard about it or gotten invested in some natural way, I just don't have time to... Mm. Every email that I get, I save in a folder titled New Case Suggestions, and every once in a while I go back through them, and sometimes there's a lot of names that come up over and over, so I think maybe I should look into that. I'll Google it. I'll spend a day really interested in it, but just it would have to, it would have to come out of nowhere, and this one just happened so organically over time that I didn't even know I was doing it. For the first few months, I was like, I think I just wrote six episodes of a documentary about this case and I haven't even asked permission yet. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. It just came out of nowhere and I would I would follow that instinct again. You really threw me for a loop in one of the the three or four of the conclusion episodes where I'm like, no way he's gonna be sitting down with the jurors like in the round table. <laughs> like that was really something because and just the fact that like literally they're going to the parking lot after being released and they're I got to know about the, what this podcast is yeah. about. You know, and some people had a little bit of a hard time because they had so they were bombarded so much, overwhelmed, like you said earlier, that they kind of let it chill a little bit and then started digging into the podcast. Yeah. But some people went right for it. And I mean, that must have been wild. Do you ever see yourself sitting down with the smarts or I mean, anything like that, that would almost like now that you are you're, you're into it. But now that it's over, we can talk to the jurors. We can talk to them. Have they ever wanted to do that? Did you want to do that? Or I've sat down with the smarts so many times that it almost feels unnatural to press the record button. Mm. We will hear from the smarts again. I'm not like the smarts haven't had their final word on this case yet. So yeah. we will hear from them again. And I know you can't speak for them, but you are intimately, you know, intertwined with them. Were they really, um, were they really bummed about Ruben and that verdict that it almost kind of like, it stuck with them a little bit like it did with me. It was like, oh. yes, yes. It was something that we all had to discuss many times. Like what went wrong here? Yeah. What are we missing? So frustrated about dueling rights and how they weren't able to show certain evidence because it got in the way of the other one's rights. And th you know, those things are technicalities that to a normal human being who isn't part of the legal system, it's just like, why, why? Like I get it, but why it's so frustrating. So yeah, there's, been a lot of discussion about that um the phrase that their attorney gave them that they've kind of clung to is we got the elephant but the mouse got away right if you're going to get one of those people off the streets get the person who's continuing to rape people off the streets the person that harbored your daughter's remains as much as you might despise him if one of them had to go let it be him what did the smarts take away from their uh, victim impact statements where they were able to actually look at paul um Albeit, I don't know, did he have, he seemed to wear this mask the whole time, which I thought was such a cowardly thing to do. But 
um, those moments where they talked right to him, what did they take away from that? Not only his mask, but he sat with his back, with his back face to them. So they were talking to the back of his neck, and he never turned around at any point. They he weren't never, facing him? No. So Paul is sitting in front of the dock, as they call it, right. um, facing the judge. And they're behind him also facing the judge. So he wasn't required to turn around and look at them, and he chose not to. So the whole time they're talking to him, everybody's looking at Paul to see, is he having any reaction to this? Yeah. You, there's always in the back of your head, there's part of you thinking, what if this guy didn't do it, right? What if this isn't mm. the guy? And you look for any sign in him that's going like, to confirm that something. or not. Every single part of it was like, this is so, this is such guilty behavior. Oh, yeah. Turn around and look at these people and, and stand up and let them know, I didn't do this. You got the wrong guy or something. He didn't cry. He didn't. He did nothing until he was sentenced. And if you've watched the video on YouTube, they zoom into his face when the judge is speaking directly to him. She tells him, Paul Flores, you've been a cancer to society. Yes. He, he finally starts blinking and swallowing a lot, but he never cries. He never breaks. He never professes his innocence. He just sits there and takes it. And it's such a, he's so hard to read. Yeah. He's so hard to read. And everybody that knew him going back to childhood was like, just he would look when he looked at you, he looked through you. His eyes were just hollow. Like, like just psychopathic. Empty, evil. Yeah. You think he's evil? Do you believe in evil? I don't know what evil is really. Yeah. I think he's I think he's a psychopath. I yeah, think that sure. he doesn't experience emotions the same way that you or I do. Right. And I think that he's convinced himself that if he wants something from a woman, he'll take it in any way he can get it. And he doesn't he look at this? them as human beings. Whether did he have was he abused by Susan and Ruben, that's my understanding from people that that grew up um, being babysat by them, people in their households. Every person I've spoke to who knew this family is like they absolutely did this. Yeah, There's nobody who's ever defended them. Right, but a lot of people have told me that was a very abusive household and it was traumatic even visiting. Yeah, a couple more questions here from people who have uh, has Kristen's family met or interacted with the jurors? No. Um, you know, I think briefly after sentencing, a few of the jurors came up and asked if they could hug them in the hallways. Um, even some of Ruben's jurors showed up for sentencing and hugged the Smart family. And I thought... They felt bad. Yeah, I don't really know they what their bad. thought process is, but I think some of them definitely feel guilty about it. Oh, sure. They still feel like they didn't have enough evidence, but they, they know he did it. And so there's a a struggle in them emotionally, I think. but. That's tough. Uh, I, I feel, oh, man, that is so tough. Have you considered visiting Paul in prison to ask uh, or ask for his location? Um, I know his location. It's public. Anybody can search it on the Internet. Um, I'm so absolutely positive that he wouldn't be willing to entertain that, that I haven't considered it seriously. I'd absolutely be open to the idea. It was the same with his parents. Early on, I thought, I would love to sit down and talk with them. But they chase you off their doorstep before that you even say who you are. They're taking pictures of you and calling the police on you. So it's like, why would I ever approach them and say, can I please talk to you? And so I think Paul is a lost cause. I don't think he's ever going to speak honestly. And so it's probably something at some point. I'll I think he'll reach slip out up through, somewhere. Through his attorney. Yeah. yeah. Through an attorney, maybe what I'll would try you to say? I feel like you would treat him fairly in conversation. And you're sitting across from him. Have you even thought about what are some of the things you'd want to ask him? Well, I knocked on his door when I was producing the first six episodes. I parked outside of his house 
I knocked on his door several times. I waited in my car and I was going to be very empathetic and fair to him. And the angle I was coming at it from was, Paul, I've talked to everybody who knows you. I've talked to, I've talked to people you work with right now. I've talked to people who have worked with you for 20 something years going back. I've talked to people who went to school with you, people who were babysat at your house, people who swam in pools with you. Everybody knows you did this, man. How long are you going to let this go on? Is this the rest of your life that you're just never going to unburden yourself and tell us where she is? I, I really wanted to come at it from a fair and human point of view, but he didn't answer. And and I found out later on he actually had guns in his house that he can't own as a felon. He got them illegally. And so I don't think it was probably the smartest idea to be knocking on his door and asking questions at the time when my podcast, I think, was number three in the world at that point when I knocked on his door, I don't think he would have been happy to see me. Yeah. So no, I don't think I have any shot of talking to him, but at some point I'll probably try to carefully and legally go through an attorney and see if he's open to the possibility. And we learned that they're talking about you. I mean, there's all kinds of phone conversations that have been recorded that you're, you are very much on the topic of the Flores conversations. Yes. See what you can get from here. See what we can tear apart. Right. See what we, you know, what you can and can't do. I mean, if, if those conversations don't imply all kinds of involvement. Um, let's see. Miley says, do you feel, do you ever feel Kristen's spirit? Do you ever feel her? I think I do. I think I do. There's times where, um, it sort of comes out of nowhere. Uh, I, I told this story on your show before, but this, uh, this rock in Pismo Beach that I used to drive by when I was coming up to slow to interview people or driving back to my house, every time I'd pass this rock, I just thought, why do I feel her so strongly right here? It's just like every time I pass this, I think of Kristen. And so when I drive by it now, I flash a little shaka at it and uh, I think about her every time. But it's usually so out of the blue because I – I am so focused on the day-to-day details and you know, what do they do with her and who else knows and, and all of that, that sometimes Kristen gets lost in the noise. And certainly at trial, there Kristen was lost a lot. And so it's usually when I'm least, when I'm thinking about it the least, that I just get overwhelmed by the sense that that either Kristen is actively a part of this, that the reason I got involved is because Kristen compelled me to in some way. And I know that her mom feels the same way. Denise and I have had several talks where she just tells me, I think Kristen chose you. And it's, it's hard to argue with that. It's like, think about the amount of things that had to fall into place for us to be where we are today. Wow. And uh, yeah, I certainly, when I drive by that rock and when I drive out to her point, there's times where I'll give myself time to really process it. Christina says, do you think Paul's sister had anything to do with this or just maybe even afterwards with a cover-up? I think that Paul's sister was aware from, from probably the first night very early on that something had gone on. She probably wasn't given all of the details and doesn't know the extent, but I know, again, from family members and friends of theirs that um, she knows more than she said she knows. And... She's she's tried very hard to stay away from it. I think that she's the family member out of everyone who tried to get away from it the quickest. Like, I, I'm moving away from here. I'm not going to talk to my parents about this anymore. I don't want anything to do with it. Older or younger than Paul? Older, three years uh-huh. older. And So she uh, lived in that same household with all that dynamics. Whatever they were, she, did. she knows all about it. Oh, she does. And, uh, and yeah, because she had an abusive childhood, too, I, I believe. 
And um, so I, I feel some empathy for her as well. I feel bad that she's in the position she is. She did one civil deposition that I got to see, and um, she spoke about it, and she cried several times, just like, this has been so hard. I'll go to my parents' house, and I just tell them, I, la, 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 I don't want to hear about it. Don't mm. talk about it in front of me. But I think part of that is because she feels so guilty knowing that there's an answer and that she could be part of bringing that forward. She was apparently the most hostile to the detectives when they served search warrants at all of their houses. She was like, you better, you know, she called 911 on them and got a detective locally to come out and say, no, this is a real search warrant. You got to let them in. She was wow. yeah, very, very, very angry in a way that doesn't make sense. If your brother was the last person seen with a missing girl and none of you have any idea what happened, why are you so angry? You know that there's an investigation going on. You know that they need to find out what happened. And you know that your brothers continue to take the Fifth Amendment. So the, they can't eliminate him as a suspect if you won't talk. So this is going to continue to go on if none of you cooperate. Why are you so mad? And why are you so mad at the Smart family? They're just looking for their daughter. And your brother was the last person seen with yeah. her. This there's isn't like they didn't there. pick you out of the blue. Yeah. Man, um, cadaver dogs alerted at Susan's two. What is there? Was Kristen there at one point then moved? Tess asked that. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know the details of where Kristen was and when. I believe that both houses are at play. I believe that she was at both at various times. Like the watch um, beeping, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. And um, that's another thing that a lot of people have asked me. They've said, because I've suggested, because I don't know exactly what happened. You just know where the outline is, right? You know the shape of what took place, but you don't know the exact details, which is another reason you want Paul to come forward. Tell us everything that happened so that we can have some peace later on and just not guess. So part of it is that I had suggested perhaps her belongings were at Susan's house and her body was at Ruben's house. And people have said, well, why would they separate the two? Well, they were already separated. Kristen didn't die fully clothed. Kristen died in the process of rape or attempted rape. I think her clothes were already separated from her body. I think those things were already set aside when he called his dad to help him move her body. So those things were probably put into a trash can, either burned or buried or something. And I think that that earring that was found in the driveway was probably dropped without them realizing it. And when they found out about it, they kind of freaked out. And then, you know, the detectives lost it. And yeah. That's, that's the real shame. But I do think both houses were involved. Yeah. I, th I do think something was at each house. And when their yard was searched, it was never dug. So and, to get still, a, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but to get a search warrant for that place again, I'd be monumental because it's harder to get another one again. Right. Brand new evidence. You need evidence that hasn't already been used to get that first one. That's tough. Uh, let's see. Chris, were you at any point afraid for your safety throughout your investigation? Um, sure. In the, in the back of my head, I got paranoid at times where, who is this person knocking on my door late at night or something? Uh, um, and like once it was a subpoena being served, there was somebody like relentlessly knocking on my door and I wasn't answering. And I thought, who is this? And it turned out to be somebody serving me a subpoena. But overwhelmingly, the thought that I've had is that this family has spent so much time avoiding the situation and not confronting it directly. Um, and also there's been people involved over the years who have been so much more hostile to them than I have been. I've been so hands-off and so calm about the whole thing and, and approachable and open to speaking with them that I don't think that I've earned their ire the way that other people have Yeah. early on. And those people weren't 
hurt in any way. And so, I don't know. I think I'm down the list a little bit. Yeah. Brenna asks also about that beeping watch. Do you still think the beeping the renters heard at Susan's house was Kristen's watch? Um, I never decided that definitively. It was something that they certainly believed. And a lot of people who listened were like, that was a very powerful part of the episode. I know that I had interviewed her and a month later interviewed Denise Smart. And she just told me off the cuff, by the way, Kristen worked as a lifeguard and she had to set her alarm for 4.30 every morning to get up. And she was just talking about it from my daughter hated being at Cal Poly. She had no idea about the watch. So when those two things aligned, I thought, whoa, this is big. And I put it in the episode that way. Like, this is how I learned about it in this order. Isn't that crazy? Um, it's compelling to me, but I've never decided one way or another whether it was. I asked everybody knew, who knew her, did she regularly wear a watch? I asked her roommate, do you remember the watch beeping? Nobody remembers that kind of detail. It's like, do you remember what watch you were wearing in 1996? Right. It's just such a small detail until you realize, just like the earring. Did she have silver earrings with a turquoise pendant in the middle? Who knows? I didn't pay attention to that kind of thing right. and remember it for 25 years. So I never decided one way or another, but I, I still think it happened. I think the tenants telling the truth that there was a beeping that kept them awake at night. Alora writes, Paul's friend, Mike, why didn't he intentionally leave out? Oh, why did, why did Chris intentionally leave out his last name on the pod? Oh, that's interesting. So, you know, I left out most people's last names unless they had ever been published in a newspaper. So early on, you know, the people that walked her home that night, their names were public. So I said them out loud. I got threatened with a lawsuit by one person who said, you don't have any right to say my client's name. And I showed her all of the times his name was in the newspaper. And we actually like kind of formed a, an amicable relationship after that because she was like, OK, I misunderstood the situation. So I was kind of making it a point in that episode. You're that a paralegal like, too. That, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Mike is somebody who um, Paul had a friendship with at Cal Poly. He bailed Paul out of jail once when he got arrested for DUI. So I thought this is an interesting person that I'd like to talk to, but his name has never been published. So I, I just said in the episode, his friend Mike, whose name I'm intentionally leaving out, and a lot of people emailed me to say, why? Why did you leave his name out? And I didn't mean to draw so much attention to that. It was like, I'm leaving everybody's name out unless it's been published. So it's just making it a point there. By the way, I'm not blasting you. I'm not going about throwing people's names out recklessly. It's only if it's already out there. Haley says, have you spoken with any of Ruben's jurors since the final recording? Yes. Not, I didn't interview them. Um, I invited them to be interviewed. They didn't show up. But I did speak with them after the sentencing, and I just asked, you know, what happened? And what I was told from this person was, we all think he did it. We all think Paul did it, and we all think his dad most likely is the person that helped him. But there were a number of jurors who thought that there were too many gaps missing in the timeline, and there was not enough to directly connect Ruben. Like, for instance, there wasn't an eyewitness that saw Ruben driving the truck that night. There, There's just this... It makes the most sense, and there's certainly a phone call that came from Paul's dorm room to his dad's house. Um, he's driving his son's truck. There's lots of anecdotal things like the fact that he replaced the bed liner the week after Kristen went missing, which is a very strange thing to do to a truck. It's something you normally do years and years after owning a truck if it gets destroyed by weather or scratched by your moving logs or something. Most people don't change a three-year-old bed liner in a truck for no reason. And so, but that is anecdotal and it's hearsay. So it can't come in at trial. So things like that, that I know from talking to people involved, 
didn't come in and the jurors never learned them. So they just thought there were too many gaps in the timeline that made it questionable and there was some reasonable doubt there. But the way that this juror told me was like, we all know he did it. And I was just so devastated by that. Like, how how upsetting that it wasn't like you you fully disagree with this person being charged. It was that we know this person killed Kristen Smart and we believe his dad is the one who helped him, but not enough evidence is like, I get it. But it, and they really feel like they were holding themselves accountable for the law and the way the law is written, that even though they believed they could see it, they didn't believe it was fair to charge him without enough definitive evidence. This question's interesting. Is it hard to watch the detectives that didn't do shit take credit for all your hard work? Now, I want you to speak to, one, I mean, I take a little bit of an issue because I think, especially as Ian Parkinson came in, and I think I've even talked to the smart, you know, to Denise, and they, they feel that there was an effort that was definitely renewed. There is no question that your work has helped solve this case and get to where we are. There's just no question in my mind and a lot of people's minds. But there are some people who literally think you did it all. That's very, that's awesome. That's, that's you know. But what are your thoughts on that, your relationship with law enforcement, how it evolved, where it is now, and then how you field questions like that? Sure. Um, I can't think of a single detective who I believe has taken more credit than they have earned on this case. I will say early on, the way that some of the um, spokespeople talked about me and the podcast felt dismissive and defensive. I feel like early on they were like, no, 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 don't give him any credit for this. Um, multiple times I heard them in interviews say, well, Chris only knows a very small piece of the puzzle. We've got so much going on behind the scenes. And once we went to trial and I found out everything behind the scenes, I thought, wait a minute, I knew all that. Yeah, right. There's no surprises here. So as time went on, I feel like we developed a relationship with each other. They were early on, they're going, who is this guy? Who is this? I mean, a kid at the time, practically. Who is this kid who's never worked in our field? He doesn't know what he's doing. We established trust, and I think I earned some of that with them. I, I, there were things I discovered that I said, you know, I found this person's name. And they're like, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. And it's this. And they were, they were impressed by the work that I did and also impressed that when they would ask me, can you please not release that part publicly? I didn't because I knew it would jeopardize the case. So I worked with them. At that point, they knew that you were in it for the integrity of the case, not just to have a a, a big podcast. One of the the sheriff's commanders that I sat down with and interviewed, I think he and I connected on a personal level. We looked into each other's eyes, and it was like, we both want this solved really bad, right? We're both on the same page here. And from that point on, I felt like there was no resistance to, to that. But especially since the verdicts have come in, I think almost everyone has said publicly, Chris was a very important part of this. And I think Dan Dow even said publicly, the stuff that he brought forward was critical to this, which is a huge, I mean, that's a huge credit to give me. And it's not easy for a politician to do. It's not easy for someone in their elected position to say, we couldn't have done it without this person who has no business yeah. doing this, right? And so I don't feel... I don't feel like they're taking too much credit. Yeah. I feel like I think it actually makes fair. them better leaders too when they're that open and honest about your involvement. Yeah. Like I think it it makes me have more respect for it, it doesn't hurt for anything them. for them to say no. yes, we 
you know, we were able to solve this case partially because of this person's work. And some of these ways that you worked with them, but still maintained your integrity, like with the truck and, you know, not saying this, but saying this. And, you know, we got the pickup truck and putting this out there. And I mean, it was it was really done right. But you always had like a real, I don't know, just a real earnest and honest way of approaching it. Yeah, to be fair, I also didn't let them get away with anything. There were times where I... I would bring something to them and they didn't really seem too interested where I would go, you have to follow up on this. And I would bug them about it. Mm -hmm. And they were, they were receptive to that after a while. So it wasn't like they won me over and then I just did anything I could to be on their side. We were sometimes in disagreement about how important a certain witness or evidence was where one person would think it's this way and I'd think the opposite. So I, I really treasure the relationship that I formed with all of those people. Yeah, that's really cool. Were there any other questions that people have just been rattling to you over and over again that you definitely wanted to make sure that you answered for those listening? Um, not particularly. There's, there's one, just a small detail. We were talking earlier about um, this activity that was witnessed in the middle of the night with the trailer that the neighbor saw. A lot of people email me saying, I got it. Why don't they just trace their cell phones and where they went that night? And so that's a, a piece that I think is really easy to overlook if you're not considering all the details. They took their cell phones four days before that. That's part of why they were scrambling to do whatever they were doing to get rid of something is because their cell phones were seized. So none of them had cell phones at that time. So there's nothing to trace. And then particularly wow. after that, uh, I know for a fact Ruben went to buy a flip phone that couldn't be tracked in any way for that reason. Like a I burner. Believe. Yeah. And so... They didn't have cell phones on them because they were just taken away from them. So there's all of those things have been followed up on. People have said, well, have you looked at doorbell cameras and tried to piece together where they could have gone? Yes, those things have been done. You, you didn't hear about them at trial, so there's a reason for that. So uh, all of those things have been followed up on and it just, you know, disappointment after another. And I've spoken to Ian Parkinson about this several times about this case. This case is, is almost cursed in that way where – You've got a, such a critical piece of evidence, and then you go look into it, and you find out this witness just died. Like, they just died the week before you reached out to them. So many times it's happened in this case, you wouldn't believe it. And so it's just some things are out of their hands. They, they've tried, but they haven't been able to connect all the pieces. So many little pieces that we'll never know. I mean, just like that right there. Like, wow, that's incredible that the way the timing was you know, all this like kind of Murphy's Law timing yeah. with regards to all this. I think of Stan Smart standing over Ruben's property and having the restraint to not just go over there and go in the, the, you know, the yard himself. And then to know that at some point at that property that he's gazing upon, his daughter was literally under the ground there. You know, um, have you ever gone to that? part and just stood there and reflected as you look at that deck and just or maybe if not there where are places where you will literally just like you know talk to me chris and or where what's going on what get, give me a little closer to, to getting this yeah it's hard to get close to reuben or susan's property because they're watching for that and so the only time i was really able to stand there and think about it was during the searches yeah so they had the the driveway blocked off and a lot of media standing in the streets I just stood off to the side for a long time and just processed, like yeah. being this close to it and having not had access to it before because Ruben will chase you off. Um, but but those aren't the places I go. Like when I want to, like really process and think about Kristen, 
I like to go to her point in Shell Beach, like that hangs over the ocean, um, or just around the corner there, those cliffs, um, and sit on a bench and, and think about it for yeah. a while. That those are the places where I feel the most in tune with just really unwinding. Yeah. Uh, Sam has a perfect one. He says, no question, just thank you. So, and I think that's kind of like the overwhelming. I mean, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people ha- do have the same questions yeah. as we're flipping through here, but then a lot is just wanting to just thank you for like your work on this. It's been, it's been quite a ride and I think like a watershed moment for your life too, Absolutely. right? I mean, this is like a, this is a big benchmark in, in Chris Lambert's existence here. Sure. It's probably the thing I'll be remembered for, no matter what I do after this. It's probably the thing that will last. You okay uh, with that? Sure. I mean, it, but it's it, not music. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever like looked at music as a way to get recognized or that to be how people identify me. But you just love it so much. I do love, love making right. music. So, yeah, it's like, that's was what, in a lot for a lot of musicians. Like that's your dream. Your dream is to become a well-known musician, right? I mean, yeah. I I think it that just goes like. It's the opposite of what I seek out. I yeah. like quiet, and I like I am a shy person, and I mm. don't socialize all that much. And so I just like making music. I like the creation yeah. process and recording and all that stuff. And then having to go out and like play it in front of people like goes with the territory. But it's not my favorite thing. And so I don't think there's anything that I want to be recognized for publicly in that way. And this this happened that way. I didn't choose for it to happen this way, but it's not the worst thing. To be remembered for yeah and so i'm okay with that i don't know like wh- what will come after this that that could ever replace this yeah and, and and i don't think it's repeatable i don't think that i think there's a lot of people who think oh please solve this one as if i just walked in and pressed the solve button <laughs> and it didn't happen that way right. and i don't think i'm the person who has power to solve cases so i feel bad when people email me and say please solve my mom's case oh I just can't. I, j- I don't have the ability to solve cases. What I do have is is curiosity, and sometimes that curiosity pulls me through some intense places that I wouldn't naturally go, and then something happens. It's got to be gut-wrenching to read those letters. It is, I, I usually don't read the whole content of them because I just think this is so sad that these people need someone like me to come along but I don't think that I'm the person who can do this in every instance. No, sure. And, and I don't think anybody is. I don't think there's anybody out there where you're like, oh, if you really want this case solved, go to this person. Yeah. It has to sort of fall into place, and there has to be somebody. There's a lot of people, I'll say this, a lot of people email me and say, here's a case in my hometown that I really want to see solved. Can you please take it on? And I do reply to those, and I say, you should take it on. I have no business taking this case on and making a documentary podcast about it. I just did because somebody needed to do it. So if you have the impulse to email me and say, somebody needs to cover this, maybe you should try to cover it because you clearly have the passion for it. It's just like I think most people feel like this is insurmountable, like it's, it's, a, it's an achievement. They don't know how to – how did you do this? Well, I started very small, and I read everything I could find about it, and then I started calling people. It would say, this person said they saw Kristen at the party. I would look them up on Facebook. I'd send them a message and say, can I interview you? I'm making a documentary about the Kristen Smart case. And I just kept doing that over and over. Wow. How much do you think the production value of the podcast actually helped 
it click with people, want to listen more, bring people in, and thus, of course, more information. But just the production value of the podcast, I imagine that had something to do with just how it popped in someone's ear. I heard that it has. I've heard that from a lot of people. It wasn't something that I put a lot of thought into because I was just trying to make it as good as I could. I thought, well, I've listened to this one and really enjoyed it, and then I listened to this one and hated it. So I'm going to try to make the best one that I can. And I was very hard on myself, and I took a lot longer than I think was necessary to make sure it was exactly how I wanted it to be. And I've done that with every episode since, which is why it takes so long for an episode. Yeah. Cause it's like, I'm sitting here going, this could be better. I couldn't do this better. And my friend always tells me, he's like, I think you let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I think that you should quote. just allow things to happen that are okay or fine, but you want everything to be perfect. And that's very true about me. So I didn't put a lot of thought into what other people would think of the production value. It was just, I want to do the best job I can do. So, But I have heard from a lot of people. When I heard it, I thought, oh, this isn't some amateur. Yeah. But I am, right? So right. I am an amateur. So it's kind of, it's almost a trick. It's like I, I fooled you into believing that I actually had some business being here <laughs> and telling this story the same way Dateline does or something. Right. No, absolutely. But I was kind of faking it until I made it. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. What do you get out of these conversations? Like your ability to get on a microphone in the same way you are with the podcast, we're talking content, but we're flushing stuff out. We're talking, I mean, what do you get out of these conversations with you and I? Um, I think it's it's a relief to be able to speak in a not like scripted way where, you know, not that it's artificial in the way I do in the podcast, but it has to be a storyline that makes sense and has an arc to it. And sometimes there's questions people have that I can't just answer without figuring out, well, now I have to reshape this whole narrative arc in order to get that answer in. So sometimes there's questions that are very simple to explain, and I just couldn't find a place for them. So this is a relief to do. And also just for the last few months, I've been thinking, once I wrap this up, I want to sit down with you. I want to sit down and take calls from listeners and say, what do you still not know? What do you still feel like is missing? before I can go away, like yeah. before I disappear and go back to normal life for a while, what is still left hanging? Because I see a lot of people discuss it. Like I still don't understand why this didn't happen. Yeah. So it's like, okay, maybe I can explain some of that stuff in a forum like this. You ask me anything you want. And so that's what I was just looking forward to filling in gaps. Yeah. What about this show made you want to come and do that here? Just, I think that, that the last time you and I did it, it felt like there was just a lot of more room to stretch my legs and you seemed like you were more interested in in how I did this and who I was than you know some of the people at the high levels where when they sit down you can tell that somebody just gave them an index card with a paragraph mm. and they memorized it and they're like okay and they sat through makeup and then they're like so what made you want to do this and yeah, yeah. they ask the same <laughs> questions and, sure. and all that stuff but in this format you and I have talked a few times we've gotten through the basics of it and it just felt like there's more room to explore yeah, very good. Well, so I'm still welcome to text you. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I know I'll be more dark. I'll be more likely to respond now than I have for the past year because I'm actually a normal human being again and not some you know person locked up. Yeah. in a room trying to type every thought right. that happened in the courtroom. Well, your the the work you did was comprehensive. It was fantastic. You made people who literally do these jobs a lot of vocations, a list of vocations. You made 
you did them better than we're normally used to seeing these vocations be done. So fantastic job. I always appreciate when you're here. Uh, thank you for being up and out in the morning. Thank you for this time off the air that's going to be posted and go bananas and taking all these questions, all these calls. I love you, man. I appreciate you being up and at them. Thanks for having me again.